0: So I'm reading a book called uh, The Question of God. It's comparing the beliefs of C.S. Lewis and Sigmund Freud. Some of you are thinking, oh no, J.D. is referencing Sigmund Freud and C.S. Lewis right at the top of this sermon. Where is this going to go? Well, interestingly, Sigmund Freud and C.S. Lewis grew up in very similar circumstances. Both grew up with Christian influences in their lives from members of the family, both had challenging relationships with their fathers, Uh, both suddenly lost important people to them as children, both became atheists early in life, both were greatly impacted by the world wars. Freud observed about life that it is very difficult to be happy. On the other hand, he saw that it's much easier to experience unhappiness in life. He actually stated, we are threatened with suffering from three directions. From our own body, which is doomed to decay and dissolution, and which cannot even uh, do without pain and anxiety as warning signals. We, secondly, um, we are, the, the direction we are threatened with suffering is from the external world, which may rage against us with overwhelming and merciless forces of destruction, and thirdly, from our relations with other people, the suffering which is perhaps more painful to us than any other. End quote. Sigmund Freud, if if you're you're probably aware, is is the father of modern day modern day uh, psychoanalysts um, psychology. It's no wonder he was. Uh, only happy in himself when he discovered uh, cocaine as a treatment for his own melancholy. He was cut from the same cloth as another German philosopher that I won't uh, attempt his name here, but stated, man is never happy, but spends his whole life striving after something he thinks will make him so. C.S. Lewis, on the other hand, discovered joy when he came into a relationship with God through Christ, and it was hard fought. It was a long process. He described it as if the hounds of heaven were nipping at his heels, chasing him into a relationship with God. Lewis gave an account of his journey with God, and he And he called his memoir, Surprised by Joy. C.S. Lewis had laid out three options for a being's existence. For any being's existence, here are the three options. To be God, or to live in right relationship with God, or to be in misery. That was his experience. That was his understanding. What does it mean to find joy in living in right relationship with God, as as Lewis encourages us. It means bearing fruit for God's kingdom. It seems pretty narrow to say that, that bearing fruit for God's kingdom is how a person avoids misery. But think of what the fruit of the Spirit basically provides, misery proofing our life, no matter the circumstances. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, thankfulness, and self-control. These don't come from circumstances. They come from the indwelling Holy Spirit filling us and living, breeding these things, bearing this fruit in our lives. Certainly there's other forms of fruit that God is able to manifest in our lives as well. Finding purpose and our fit in this world as he uses us in this world. Seeing others come to Christ as God gives us the words to share and the boldness to do so. Experiencing a legacy in others both inside our families and outside of our families as we share the truth with them and live it out before them. We learn the essentials about bearing fruit for God's kingdom in the first parable of Matthew 13. We read that this on the same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Now, now just to remind you at the end of chapter 12 Jesus is in a house teaching and the house is full of people and Jesus' mother and brothers show up outside of the house And the people let him know, your mother and your brothers are here. And Jesus wants to make a point of how someone can become his followers so close in a relationship with him that they would spiritually be considered his mother and his brothers. He says, whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my mother and sister, my brother and sister and mother. So here we see at the beginning of chapter 13, that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea and great crowds gather about him so that he got into a boat and sat down and the whole crowd stood on the beach and he told them many things in parables. And and he begins that with saying, a sower went out to sow. You understand, and many of you have maybe experienced this: been out fishing, that that you you hear someone speaking, and and you look out across the lake, and somebody's a couple hundred yards away, and and you can hear them pretty clearly because their voice is just resonating off the surface of the water. This is the same sort of situation of the reason why Jesus gets into a boat, separate himself a little bit from the crowds, and speaks to them from the calm water of the Sea of Galilee. In chapter 13 here, Jesus moves to a place where he can be more effectively teaching the large crowd of people, and he teaches them in parables. And we read in verse 4, speaking of this sower that Jesus starts to talk about, as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. This is describing a situation of, of casting seed, of how, how in that day they might, you know, they didn't have planting machines and things like that for certain um, gro- crops or ground cover. They would simply go out and, and, and grab handfuls of the seed and spread it by hand across the ground. And he goes on to say some seeds fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, speaking of the, the plants, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. This is an everyday situation that Jesus is describing. A farmer or a worker in a field spreading seed in a field. This is a parable, as we talked about. Jesus, it's kind of like giving an illustration right from the top, right from the beginning. But as we talked about last week, for most of the people that are hearing Jesus teach this, this is all they are going to get. Because they do not choose to follow up with him. They do not choose to follow along with Jesus as their rabbi and listening to his explanation, and we'll just we're taking these verses as a whole. Last week we kind of jumped into the middle of this section, so these next verses are going to be familiar with you. For you, then the disciples came and said to him, "Why do you speak to them in parables?" And he said to them, "To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given." For to those who have, for the, to the one who has, more will be given, and him and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. If you want to know what that means, you've got to listen to last week's sermon. But we'll keep going here. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear. Nor do they understand. If you recall he goes on to quote from Isaiah 6. But he summarizes this section in, in verse 16 and 17. But blessed are your eyes for they see. And your ears for they hear. For truly I say to you. Many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see. And did not see it. And to hear what you hear. And did not hear it. We see an interesting intertwining of, of the sovereignty of God in Jesus' ministry and the decisions of man to continue listening. Uh, both we we see that, that those who were going to receive the explanation of this parable made the decision that they're going to follow along, that they're going to, to listen in, that they're going to follow Jesus as their rabbi And hear and wait for the explanation. And yet we also see that Jesus says to them. To you it has been given. To know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. So we see Jesus illustrates his message with stories. And and doesn't necessarily provide the great crowds with the explanations. The explanations are reserved for those who follow him. And listen and apply his teaching. If you recall, we looked at this as last week as asking the question Am I a you or a them? Am I one who is following after Jesus that he would look at and say, To you, or yes, to you, it has been given to understand these things. But to them that aren't following along, it hasn't been given. Following Jesus means to walk with him by God's grace in his righteousness, listening to him as your rabbi. So verses 18 through 23 here we see Jesus turns to those who are following him and explains to them what he means. So he says, hear then the parable of the sower, meaning hear the explanation. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, Now, I'll just say it is dangerous to look at a parable and try to make a spiritual meaning out of every aspect of it, okay? For instance, to say, well, here it must, the sower must be this. And, you know, the, the, um, the thorns, uh, well, we're actually told what the thorns are. But, but here we have in this uh, specific parable, Jesus gives us lots of opportunities To understand what these things are, because he gives us definitions. The seed, we're told here in Matthew, is the word of the kingdom, the word of God, the word of the gospel. And the soil is the heart of the hearer. The fruit is life changing, a life changing, fruitful response. In this parable, there certainly is the scenario of a person that does not know Christ as their Savior. And I would say that is probably the predominant scenario here, explaining why is it that some people could hear the very words of Jesus and walk away saying, I don't get it, ho-hum, I got something to go do, and remain unchanged, remain unsaved. But certainly there, are the oppor- there is the opportunity for believers, those who have trusted Christ as our Savior, to be able to see ourselves in these parable, this parable teaching as well. The goal of God's word, the gospel given to the unbeliever, is the, the goal is the fruit of salvation. The goal of God's word, the gospel given to the believer who is indwelled by the Holy Spirit, The goal of that is the fruit of spiritual growth. The first major idea that I think God is hammering home to us here is that he wants us to recognize the problem is with our hearts. Recognize the problem is with our hearts. Let me me ask you some, some inventory questions here. How do you approach something from God's word that takes more explanation in order to understand it? That just leaves you curious. It just leaves you a little befuddled. It seems vague to you. How do you deal with a question that God takes a long time to answer? When God points something out to you that He wants you to understand or that needs to change in your life, how long are you able to keep that in the front of your mind? Is it just a fleeting thought? Or do you find yourself making excuses for for how there's no need to get radical about this? Whatever excuses we might be tempted to make for why we can't seem to get anything out of God's word or, or why we can't seem to keep with something we resolve to allow God to change or the multiple reasons why we can't seem to focus on the health of our souls, we are told by Jesus here, the problem is not with God's truth. The problem is with our hearts. It's the same seed that gets spread on all four soils. The fruitfulness of what God's word is able to do is based on the condition of the soil. Or the condition of the heart. The first heart condition that keeps a person from getting close to God is this. The hardened, non-responding heart. What Jesus ex- tells in verse 4, he explains in verse 19, when he, and he gives the, the explanation from what is going on in the spirit world. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what is sown along the path. We, we uh, see today... Um, that one of the reasons why when we put grass seed down maybe at our home or, or, or we see it on a hillside, that they'll cover it with straw. Now that's to keep um, the moisture in, but it's also to keep the birds out. And so this, this happens in our day as well, even with, with good soil. But it, it was not uncommon in that day for, for a field a farmer's field, rather than, than people uh, walking around it, that a path, uh, enough people would have walked maybe diagonally across it, that a path would have formed uh, in that. And even after the seed was sown, that path was going to be there. It wasn't going to get overgrown with anything. Why is that? Because it was hard packed. It's where people had been walking. and And a sower going out in the field and sowing, it's not like he was like... That, that seed would still get cast along that path as well, but that seed was not going to penetrate that ground. The spiritual scenario that's being described is one where a person has heard the truth, but the heart is hard, dull, callous. They don't care about the truth that they hear. They can't care about the truth that they hear They may think that they're being discerning or exercising critical thinking, but they're actually missing out on understanding it. We're told the devil is more than eager to steal away any truth from making its impact on a person's heart. Thinking, I don't get it, is not a good sign. It is not a good sign of the condition of our hearts. You know, sometimes those abbreviations that, that our kids or, uh, or, or others might text, we have to stop and say, what does that mean? You know, one I had recently was SMH, and it means shaking my head. So it's like, you know, like, like don't, I don't get it. You know, I don't understand what's going on here. But, you know, another one that, that is common or maybe less common is is TLDR. Too long, didn't read. We, you know, we live in a too long, didn't read culture. And and, and Satan is more than willing to snatch away the truth. For the unbeliever, There needs to be an understanding that there is a lot of life experiences, yes, that can harden a person to God's love, but we are not going to tailor-make a gospel that will be able to meet everyone's experience. Jesus does not say here, so what the sower needed to do is he needed to reach into his bag and grab some, some hard soil penetrating seed. No. The same gospel is shared. And it's the fault of the soil. That's the point he's getting across. He's clear that the blame does not fall on the seed of the message, but on the heart that's too hard. Ezekiel speaks of the transforming, forming work that God can do on a person's heart. In Ezekiel 36, 26, where he writes, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone. From your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. For the unbeliever, pray that God would take their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. For us as believers, there are times where we need God to take our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. The second heart condition that's a problem for getting close to God is the shallow, momentarily responding heart. Didn't really know how to say that better, but there it is. Jesus describes this situation of, and this was common and still is common in, in um, the area around Israel. You might find bedrock right there at almost the surface of the ground and there might just be like half an inch to an inch of topsoil on top of it. It's a very rocky area. And Jesus explains in verse 20, "As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet it ha- yet he has no root in himself." but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. The problem is with the soil. It cannot receive the seed's roots. The problem is not the sun that scorches the plant. The problem is the fact that the seed is not able to take root due to the condition of the soil. And in the same way, a person who receives God's word enthusiastically at first can't blame the normal trials and persecutions that come before they're falling away. The seed is intended to create a plant that bears fruit. That's what the gospel is intended to do. God's truth is intended to be received and bear fruit in a relationship with him. The Bible Knowledge Commentary says the fact that they believe for a while but then fall away, it means that they only accept the facts of the word mentally and then reject it when the going gets rough. It does not mean they lose their salvation for they had none to lose. I also like what it writes. It says, sun is good for plants if they have roots. Persecution can deepen the roots of a true Christian but it only exposes the shallowness of a false Christian. In John Bunyan's Pilgrim Progress, there's a character named Pliable. And originally, when when the character Christian who depicts the journey of of a person who receives Christ as their Savior. At this point in time, in in his experience, the Christian is is burdened down with the burden of his sin and has not yet come to the cross and and realized that that cross has taken his burden from him. But but this other character, Pliable, as Christian is leaving the city of destruction, Pliable decides, I'm going to go along with you. This sounds great. Tell me again about this this um, city, again, this eternal city that we're headed toward. Tell me again about this this kingdom that we're we're headed toward. He's the neighbor of Christian who accompanies for a while, him for a while, but he's always waffling between excitement and apprehension. He's listening to Christian relate God's promises and his assurances that the journey will be worth the trouble. But once they fall into the slough of despond, or you could call it the marsh of discouragement, pliable returns to the city of destruction. I I believe that's an example of this shallow soil that Jesus is talking about. When the gospel doesn't result in a lasting relationship with God, the relationship simply failed to launch in the first place saving faith is persevering faith in the scenario of the unbeliever the plant has not borne the fruit of salvation but again we as believers can still take from this parable that it's not a problem with god's process when we lack fortitude with growth and we know that we know god has laid on our hearts it is not a problem with god's process The problem is in our hearts. And we can take courage because God can change our hearts. That's what God does. So moving on, the third heart condition that's a problem for getting close to God is the thorn-filled, weak-responding heart. Jesus explains this in verse 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the world, word and it proves unfruitful. These thorns described here are weeds that are hard to get rid of. Different from the shallow soil that wasn't going to grow anything for long. This soil is it's is desirable soil. The soil itself is, 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 is good for growing something. But it wasn't going to grow anything for long. The thorns that are there, the the weeds that are there, they grow fast and they, they suck the nutrients out of the soil quickly. They leave no nutrients for the plants that spring up from the seeds. And the plants don't bear fruit. The thorns represent the cares and anxieties that flood our minds and compete with God's truth for our attention, and for our energy. They also represent the deceitful seduction of wealth that you can control your world. Again, the scenario here of the unbeliever is plain. The plant hasn't borne the fruit of salvation. But also for us who have trusted Christ as our Savior, we can still allow weeds and thorns to exist in our hearts as well we can easily end up investing in in and chasing in weak promises of cheap fulfillment rather than being invested in strengthening our souls the the writer of the book that i mentioned uh, the question of god comparing the beliefs of sigmund freud and and cs lewis he said this he actually teaches on on Sigmund Freud at Harvard. He says, in the wider world, we keep hectically busy and fill every free moment of our day with some form of diversion. Work, computers, television, movies, radio, magazines, newspapers, sports, alcohol, drugs, parties. Perhaps we distract ourselves because looking at our lives confronts us With our lack of meaning, our unhappiness, and our loneliness, and with the difficulty and the fragility and the unbelievable brevity of life. This is a person that does not know Christ as their Savior, and they're picking up on the fact of why so often the gospel fails to bear fruit but you know we can fill our lives with distractions too you know i was i was on the elliptical at planet fitness and um <clears throat> i decided you know what i I've, I've got a, you know that bible study app bible.is that that um i've that will read the Bible for me, kind of in a dramatic form, and and I can you can also see it as as it's moving through it. I love that app, and I was listening to the Book of Ephesians while I was on the uh, elliptical machine. But there is also the TV, uh, TV's of like you know you've got Fox News and CNN and and HGTV and you know all these different things, and and unsurprisingly. While I'm on that elliptical if I'm watching my phone as it moves through the book of Ephesians I'm able to concentrate. I'm able to follow, but when my eyes would drift up to the different headlines and and what's going on and it's it, all of a sudden I'm like where am I? What, what how did we get to chapter 5? Isn't that how life is? All the channels that are going on in your life, crowding out the fruit that God wants to bear. If you're like me, um, they're often streaming apps on your phone. Every now and then, my, my loving wife will point out to me, so true, she's like, you are always watching something on your phone or listening to something on your phone. And and sure enough, and, and it was such a great to opportunity, you know, even in studying this, to stop and go, okay, <laughs> it's gotten there again. Delete, delete, delete. How do I get these back on my phone? And, you know, I mean, I'm off to doing something what I think is mindless, you know, cleaning the kitchen or something. And I'm like, okay, uh, oh, I deleted, um... Yep, okay. I'm just going to let my life be quiet. You know what that is, guys? That's fasting. I remember one time talking to Kelly about, you know, we got into that age where it's like, how did you sleep last night? That's the first question we ask in the morning. (laughs) And I just happened to say, you know, because I was warm because we got like, this pile of covers on us, and, and, and I, was, I was warm during the night, and we got this big, thick comforter on the top, and I just happened to, you know, toss that off of me. And I kind of said, you know, it's funny, once I took the comforter off, I was comfortable. And it kind of like, I love irony, you know. And I kind of laughed at that a little bit, and then I kind of thought, being comfortable without the comforter that's not a good thing. Because the Holy Spirit is to be our comforter. But how? what do you reach for, for your comfort instead? Those things that we try to make us comfortable without the comforter, those are the things that every now and then we got to stop and say, Lord, I'm just going to take this out of my life for a while so I can listen to you, so I can go to you for comfort. That's called fasting. And it can take a lot of different forms. And they can be the weeds. They can be the thorns in our life. And God's truth just can't bear fruit. You know, parents, we have an important job of trying to help our kids limit the weeds and thorns in their life. I love this scene in the Andy Griffith show where um, it's the title of the, the, I I looked it up on the IMDB, the the title of the episode is Opie's Hobo Friend. So I'll just use the term hobo here. So Opie makes a friend, befriends a hobo. You know, a guy that's just kind of living off the land, um, hopping on trains from one place to another. And Opie's deciding, this is a great way to live. Paul, why can't I live that way? And so Andy has this, this conversation with Opie's friend. And, and Opie's friend was like, this is life. Why not let your son decide how he wants to live? This is Andy's response. Now and I'll, I'll read it with Andy's global. He says, nah, I'm afraid it don't work that way. You can't let a young'un decide for himself. He'll grab at that first flashy thing with shiny ribbons on it, and when he finds out there's a hook on it, then it's too late. The wrong ideas come packaged with so much glitter, it's hard to convince him that other things might be better in the long run. And all a parent can do is say, wait, trust me, and try to keep temptation away. Parents, we have a major job prayerfully to try to help keep the weeds and the thorns down in our kids' lives. Grandparents, we can try to do the same thing prayerfully. Ask God, Lord, how can I help my grandkids clear out some of the weeds and the thorns so they can hear and respond and allow your truth to bear fruit? recognize the problem is with your heart. Take your heart to God, whether it be hard or shallow or a crowded heart. Take it to God and watch how He can change it. You know, I I think I've shared with you before, Adrian Rogers, uh, a great preacher that has, has since passed on, he was asking a Romanian pastor What would you say is the difference between American Christianity and Romanian Christianity? And the pastor was basically like, I don't think you want to hear what we think of American Christianity. He said, but I'll I'll, I'll summarize it for you in this way. He said, when Americans talk about growing in their relationship with God, they talk in terms of commitment. They talk in terms of something that you need to do. Says when we talk in terms of growing in our relationship with God and what is needed, we talk in terms of surrender. Surrender. With this in mind, I want to challenge you to surrender the soil of your heart to bear fruit. Jesus explains the fertile ground, the, the seeds that fell on good soil and produced grain, some hundredfold, some 60, some 30. And he explains that in verse 23 saying, As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. This is the fertile heart and indeed bears fruit and yields. In one case, a hundredfold. In another, 60. In another, 30. The main point here of this parable is the lack of fruitfulness of God's word has to do with the condition of our hearts. Obviously, farmers are not going to waste the majority of their seed on bad ground, right? They're not going to sow seed on a, on a field that's mostly path or that's mostly thorns or something like that. But Jesus seems to make The good soil here, there's a point here in that only one out of four he describes as being good soil. And I think this is pointing out that most of the time something keeps people from bearing the fruit that God's word calls for. But when the soil is right, God's word bears fruit 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 is born not just from hearing but he mentions understanding we've talked about that this means to grasp something enough to change one's thinking and behavior and the fruit as as he describes here that is born is definitely supernatural in nature it is abundant but you also notice it looks a little different from one person to the next one person it's a hundredfold another it's 60 and another 30 Paul describes how the believers in Thessalonica received God's word when it was preached to them. In 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 13 he says, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it was. It really is the word of God, which is at work in you believers. That's what happened for, for those places where Paul and his companions came and preached the gospel, it was received in the power of the Holy Spirit and bore fruit. I've been continually directing you to take your heart to God and let him work on it. We, we see right now farmers preparing their ground, right? They're plowing, they're disking, they're, they're, they're injecting, um, that pretty soon they'll be, they'll be injecting uh, nutrients into it. Some of them are, are laying new drain tile to make sure the soil keeps just the right level of moisture. All of this is to do what? To increase the yield so that it'll bear fruit. Look at all the care that is going on in the fields even this early, because the goal is to bear more fruit. Won't we give the same amount of care to our hearts? Give great care to the condition of your heart. Regularly ask God to change your heart, to make it fertile ground for his truth. Let's bow our heads together. Lord God, we desperately need you. You certainly have given us grace upon grace by allowing us to come into a relationship with you through Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord God, for, for taking our dead hearts, for taking our depraved minds and lives, and making us alive together with Christ. And Lord, a relationship with you is not just a fringe benefit after that. We need it. We need you to continue to bring our hearts to life. We need you to continue to speak into our lives and show us those things that we once again have allowed ourselves to, to depend on. Once again, we've, we've gone to for comfort. Lord, so often it's not fun to, to think about our emptiness. It's not fun to realize uh, the growth that we need. It's not fun to realize how often our flesh wins out <clears throat> over your spirit. But Lord, I pray that you would take the grace that we need that in answer to our prayers, you would change our hearts. That you would pull the weeds. That you would deepen the soil. And I pray, Lord God, for, for those that, that we, the loved ones, the neighbors that, that we want so desperately to respond to your gospel in salvation, we pray, Lord God, that you would turn the soil of their hearts, that you would make it fertile. Lord, that it would be given to them to understand the words of your kingdom. That we would be willing to share it. Lord, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.